much, Ruth Ann and Anita for ministering in music. We have been discussing <clears throat> idols and looked at a number of passages. We had mentioned, I guess I would call it a bedrock fact, that discontentment with God, his authority structure, his provision, his promises, his timing, his pattern, Christ alone, and so on, is at the root of all idolatry. We also mentioned that humans are born idolaters in the sense that, you know, when I say born idolaters, that might be too strong, but, you know, born with a sin nature. And the enemies we face, Satan, the world system, and our own sinful nature are all idolaters to the core. Last week, we were touching on some words of counsel concerning idols. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Discussed this passage a number of weeks ago. But we'll read Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. God had created, it was very good. And we know that Adam and Eve are on the earth. And we know that someone comes along in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We meet fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In light of this passage as well as parallel passages, I think we need to keep in mind that we need to beware of any items or people and so on that question God, Scripture, and God's pattern. The serpent came to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden. Now, there's a question concerning God. See, questions... Ask in the wrong way, raise doubt. Talking to a guy this week, and due to something that he saw on TV, a question came to his mind, and the question basically was, am I being treated fairly?
And that was really getting him off track and really messing him up in life. Probably not a good question to ask. Someone who is going through physical trials. No. This really isn't what's best in life, is it? You begin to doubt God. A husband begins to think, this wife that I have will never change. Will she? So why am I responsible to continue to love her? A wife may have the question in her mind, if my husband doesn't change, then I don't have to follow his leadership, do I? See, all questions that raise doubt about what God said. Doubt leads to no or little trust. See, Adam and Eve moved away from trusting God and his word because they bought into the doubt that the serpent raised. And little trust tends to lead to idolatry of some form. There's a progression. What did Adam and Eve do? They did their own thing. (laughs) You know, they went against God. So as we think about life, beware of questions, people that raise doubt. And that can take many, many forms. You're watching TV and a commercial comes across. And by the time you're done seeing the commercial, you think, maybe God cheated me in life. I do need that, don't I? I'm going to be content. But again, tied in to lure us into discontentment. In light of this passage, as well as related passages, beware of people and items that begin with the prohibition rather than the freedom. Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? No, he's kind of distorting things with his question. The woman responds, we meet fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. The serpent, did God really say, you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Must not eat. You know, the prohibition. He didn't come and say, Eve, isn't it great that you can eat fruit from any tree in the garden? So there's, the way you approach something has a big, big Impact. Christianity and many religions of the world focus basically on the do nots. Many in professing Christianity tell us salvation is heaven, not relationships. You say, what's that have to do with her prohibition? Well, they're neglecting the good thing about salvation. The great thing about salvation is not going to heaven. Is it? Isn't the great thing about heaven 
or I'm sorry, salvation, a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. What is heaven if God is not there, if Christ is not there, if the Spirit is not there? We say we get streets of gold. What are streets of gold if there's no God there? There's no relationships there. That, I think, is a distortion that the enemy brings. We get to go to heaven when we die. I don't doubt that. What about now? Also, many in professing Christianity tell us to avoid sin. Don't. Went off to Bible college and read over the rules. Most of them were don'ts. Don't have your hair over your ears if you're a guy. Don't have your skirt shorter than knee length if you're if you're a gal. Don't wear any facial hair. Don't hold hands <coughs> on campus if you're married. Don't show any affection towards your mate on campus if you're married. Many were don'ts. Now think about your life, and you're living the Christian life. You're probably more familiar with the don'ts than with the do's. No, we bombard people with don'ts. But yet... Christianity is not a religion of don'ts. Christianity is a religion of relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. Many in professing Christianity fail to tell us the freedom we have in Christ, the desire, the do. You know, the acceptance that we have. Well, you better not do that because you might get rejected. Aren't we accepted in Christ? Period. Regeneration is done. You say I blow it yesterday. You're accepted. Better watch it. I can't do that. But what can you do? We remember the don'ts very well think the enemy is at work. You know, he wants us to focus on the don'ts. And we miss out on the, just the desire to walk with God and enjoy the do's. Many in professing Christianity fail to tell us what we have in Christ. They miss the delight. You study scripture, you will find that many religions and isms, including some of Christianity, talks a lot about the don'ts. And they even include the do's, but they miss the in Christ. 
If you read Ephesians and you read Colossians, who we are in Christ, the relationship we have with God, the relationship with Christ, the relationship with the Holy Spirit comes before any do's or don'ts. So you're talking to someone who's a non-believer, you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Do we talk to them about the fact that they come into a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit? Or do we say, now if you come to Christ, you've got to make sure you go to church, you've got to avoid these people, and you've got to avoid this activity, and you've got to make sure you read your Bible when you pray. That's much different than you're coming into a relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And that results in delight and response from delight. Big difference. The enemy focuses on the prohibition. God focuses on the freedom that there is in Christ. Another one coming, item coming from this portion of Scripture. No Scripture accurately and in context. I want you to notice what verse 2 says. The woman said to the serpent, We meet fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. But back to chapter 2. And verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat fruit, or must not eat rather, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will surely die. Compare verse 2 of chapter 3 with verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. There is a difference. If you go back to verse 1, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? There's somewhat of a twisting of Scripture. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, when the serpent, not the serpent, but the devil was tempting Jesus, that he even quoted scripture to Jesus. But as you look at the scripture the serpent quoted, it was out of context and distorted. Scripture in context is important. I'm going to quote a verse, and then I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me if I'm okay in that. There's a verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that means that every child trained in a Christian home will walk with God. 
if they were trained and they're not walking with God, then the verse must not be correct. Pardon? Okay, it's a proverb. What's a proverb? A wise statements that are generally true, but it's not a promise. That's important. How many parents have attempted to train children and their children have not been walking with God as they leave home and the parent says, what did I do wrong? And they beat up on themselves over and over again and they go back to Proverbs 22 and verse 6 and say, must have been me. What is the context? What kind of literature is it? You know, the enemy will even use something to, like that to discourage going to use another verse. I just want you to listen. I don't want you to look it up. I'm not even going to tell you where it is initially. The Bible clearly says, I am told, that Jesus was in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he became a human or he's made in human likeness. So he emptied himself. He didn't have deity. He came as a human. Right? I see some heads going this way. So God is a cre- or Christ is a created being. And yes, he died on the cross and he arose from the dead, but he's a created being. Came as a human what the Bible says. Made himself nothing. I didn't read the rest of the passage. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that of the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's from Philippians chapter 2. I'm just saying beware, no scripture. Now, what's the context of Scripture? So in light of that, as we are becoming familiar with Scripture, whether we hear it read, whether we hear it taught or whatever, it's a process in time. We learn, we apply, we grow. All false teaching distorts Scripture, whether it be the written Scripture or the living Scripture, whether it be Christ living or Christ written. Scripture is distorted. The enemy seeks to distort. In Matthew chapter 4, he was distorting Scripture when he tempted Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, you know, there's some distortion there. Another thing coming from this passage, beware of lies, false promises, empty promises. Genesis 3 and verse 4, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll not surely die. Pretty strong statement. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil or good and evil. 
which wasn't necessarily a good thing. As I think about commercials and ads, whether they be Christian or otherwise, how much they promise. Briefly looked through a magazine today, a Christian magazine, and this is a must read. And then they promised a couple things. And I thought, I don't think they can produce in their promise. I'm not saying it's not going to be a good book, but beware. Apparently, commercials are very powerful. Otherwise, they wouldn't spend $4 million for a 30-second commercial on a Super Bowl Sunday. Just the whole idea of promising something. My question is, whether it be Christian advertising or commercials, why do you have to keep having commercials if they bring what they say it'll bring? So I get my car. It loses its luster in a couple of months. Nothing wrong with buying another one. So I buy this book that some Christian publisher says is just going to solve all your parenting problems, and it doesn't, you know. I have to buy another one. No, we just say something is a must-read. Or we hear it will solve your problems. You know, you buy this book, it's going to solve all your problems as a wife. You'll have the godly husband in 60 days. Saw a book title recently on how to have changed children in seven days. I just thought, you know, it's interesting. You know, we have a new effective book, a new effective seminar, a new whatever, and I'm not knocking things that are produced, but please understand it's Christ. It's scripture. And God uses these other things, but beware. Nothing on earth and no one on earth can satisfy and solve everything. Only Christ. Stop and ponder and think about that. They, Adam and Eve had God. And they forsook him for something else. The believer has Christ. Beware of looking somewhere else. Let's stop looking for a fix and glory and delight in Christ and obedience in him. There is no fix. We live in a broken world. We said, I think two weeks ago, Christ walks with us. He tunnels through things with us, but he doesn't fix everything. It's almost like the serpent saying, Adam and Eve, look, you're going to be, have your eyes open. You're going to know good and evil. This is a good thing, which ties in with 
Look out for distortion and discontentment. Look out for distortion and discontentment. What's the serpent promising? You will not surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. See, there's discontentment there. There's some distortion. Application. There's no heaven till death or the rapture. I probably should say no being with God and with Christ in person until death or the rapture, but sometimes we want it all now. Struggle is life. Struggle is life. I don't think you'll ever escape it. You know, struggle in one way, shape, or form is life. But Christ is there. He's living within us. Someone comes along and says, well, we have something better. Better than what? Better than the previous thing you have. But do you have anything better than Christ? We're being told over and over again in our daily lives, even in the Christian community, we have something better. If I just buy this book, I attend this seminar, things are going to improve. Christianity, at times, does distort. Ah, let's tell you about Jesus. You come to Jesus and your life is going to change. we tell them about the fact that it might get worse because now they're walking contrary to the culture in which we live. There might be persecution. But in the midst of all of that, there's Christ. The Spirit of God lives within. And you have a relationship with God. We can kind of slant things. And that ties in with what I mentioned next. Sometimes the gospel is presented as heaven, not rejection or persecution. I'm not saying there's always going to be total rejection and persecution when someone comes to Christ, but it's still something to think about. We talk to a non believer about Christ. We promise them heaven and a good life. Is that not distortion? If you want to define the good life, that's different. The good life is that in the ups and downs of life, Christ is there with you and the Spirit of God is at work in you and they're going to enable you to get through that. But it's not going to be peaches and cream and freedom from all kinds of trials and difficulties. Again, no. The enemy wants to distort. This book, 
this seminar, this sermon will fix you. No, we don't say it that way, (laughs) but it comes across that way sometimes. So how to have an obedient kid in seven days. When you see that book, you probably better back up and say, no, there's something not right there. How to have a loving husband who just cares for you deeply in three months. Some of them have been around, you know. Place all the responsibility in the wife, you know, and so on. So, some thoughts in light of Genesis 3 and some parallel passages on responding to and dealing with idolatry. Any questions or comments before we close? Father, we love you. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be sensitive to you in our day-by-day living. Thank you that in Christ we have completeness. Thank you for the relationship we have with you. Thank you for your spirit you've given to live within us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.